Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. of major sports leagues is off and rolling and college basketball is ready to go as well. BetOnline remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contest. From the NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL, and all are in full swing. BetOnline is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action, along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to the BetOnline website today and remember to use our promo code believe b-l-e-a-v for your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit but online where the game starts all right folks this is jeremy evans your host of the california sports lawyer podcast the number one sports law podcast in the world for three years running as always appreciate you being with us where we talk about entertainment media and sports law topics uh, as they are going on uh, in the sports world and um, even when they're not going on. Sometimes we talk about things that are sort of outside the norm. But um, today we're talking about, uh, I guess, what you would refer to as a hot topic. And uh, it's to do with uh, University of Michigan head coach, head football coach, Jim Harbaugh. Obviously a well-recognized individual and somebody that um, is very highly respected in the game. Uh, both at the NFL level and at the college level for his stints at uh, Stanford University, the San Francisco 49ers, and of course now at Michigan. It is interesting uh, that prior to um, the suspension that came down for three games, I think it was on Friday before the Saturday game against Penn State, uh, that um, and even prior to the suspension and even prior to any allegations which we'll get into talking about this show and what that might look like and um and specifically breaking down the ncaa bylaw as to what it means and how it might apply but um you know before any of this was happening there were some rumors about harbaugh maybe going back to the nfl of course coach harbaugh is paid well by the university of michigan uh, is obviously having probably the most successful year he's had this year i think he's uh uh, I think either 8-0 or 9-0 at this point, but it'll be spent for the last three games of the season. But there's a chance that, you know, obviously if Michigan wins out, uh, they would, you know, be, you know, one of the top, top, you know, basically four teams or so in the country and would make it to the college football playoff and that he would coach there unless there was some additional suspension. Obviously losing your head coach is a big deal. And uh, this is like, uh, you know, um, a very important to a team standpoint. Obviously, it's not like losing a quarterback or one of your star wide receivers or running backs or defensive players or offensive line or what have you. Uh, but still, a coach is very, very important and somebody that executes the game or you know at least puts up the game plan and the players execute it. Um, but uh, again, very important. And so, you know, what we're going to talk about today, again, is this rule uh, this this bylaw that was violated, but then we're also going to get into some uh, potential changes that the NCAA 
uh, could look at in an article that I that I had come across. And so this you know episode today may be a little more legally focused, but I think it's important to kind of take a legal perspective on this because from and of course this is a legal podcast, but generally we try to uh, stay away from the minutia and and really just get into um, maybe more uh, more of the basics, more of the layman terms of uh, of sports in terms of uh, how things are affected and that sort of thing. But I think in this episode, when we're talking about a bylaw, we're talking about you know the elements of a bylaw and how to approve something. I think um, you know so this this should be very interesting for the lawyers and the non-lawyers out there. So all right. Backing up a little bit. Okay, so Coach Harbaugh, head of the Michigan uh, University of Michigan um, football team. I think everybody knows that. Uh, he was handed down a three-game suspension on Friday by the Big Ten Conference. So this is prior to any NCAA um, investigation, right? Or at least NCAA is already investigating, but this is prior to any announcement of any you know, discipline or what have you. And the controversy basically goes something like this. So Harbaugh is the head coach of the football team, and uh, the allegation is that the university uh, basically, uh, or the athletic department, hired a gentleman named Connor Stallions, and that person went out and uh, was paid by the university, uh, and then went out and essentially scouted other teams um, by recording their signs or taking notes or whatever he was doing. And um, I believe the specific allegation is that he recorded it. But either way, he broke NCAA bylaw 11.6.1, which we'll get into. Uh, and that bylaw specifically provides that essentially off-campus in-person scouting, scouting of future opponents in the same season is prohibited unless there's an exception to that, which we'll get into. The exceptions don't necessarily apply in this circumstance. It may end up helping the team and Harbaugh uh, from the from the standpoint that if certain games were not recorded and there was an ex- or they were recorded and there's an exception to it, which we'll get into, then of course I think maybe there might be a lesser penalty because um, I think part of this is not only whether there was cheating going on according to this rule, but also the extent of it. Was it one game? Was it two games? Was it multiple games? That sort of thing. How long did it go on for, right? So that is the allegation that there was this former, and of course, Connor Stallions has not been employed with the university, um, but uh, he was at one point, at least according to the allegation, and was doing things for the University of Michigan. So that's that's the gist of the situation. And of course, up until this point, you know, really Coach Harbaugh had not had much controversy uh, he had really been sort of uh, somebody I think that was very well respected in the sport, uh, and and just not somebody that really came across too much controversy. He was really more focused on, um, you know, his recruitment, bringing in good players, training good players, and of course winning, right? Which you know, obviously, um, all the best coaches do that, right? This is really sort of a big, uh, really a, a big deal for Coach Harbaugh and for the entire. Um, you know, coaching staff, I'm sure the entire team in the university. Now, Harbaugh's legal team has filed an injunction, which uh, in sort of layman's terms would mean that, you know, trying to stop uh, the enforcement of the three-game suspension prior to next Saturday uh, and that uh, Harbaugh would be able to coach 
and the injunction would be this idea that you're going to stop the suspension from happening. He gets to coach until there's some sort of, um, you know, decision on the matter by a court of law. So uh, this would be outside of any Big Ten um, discipline or any NCAA discipline, right? Which is usually the case when you're talking about the folks who are getting disciplined usually look to go outside of the system um, to sort of find justice, if you will. Whereas the teams, uh, usually in, in sort of sports, it's usually the, the leagues uh, that are looking to keep it in-house, and this is usually negotiated through some collective bargaining agreement when it's at the professional level. At the NCAA level, a little bit different, right? NCAA has its bylaws, um, and there is some internal processes, but uh, there's nothing against teams and players or what have you filing injunctions or seeking uh, sort of outside counsel or outside uh, litigation to get to get something done or get something looked at. Okay, so that's the allegation. There was this former staffer who essentially filmed um, future opponents. Okay. Now, of course, uh, the sort of idea is that Stallions purchased tickets to these games. He went to these games to gather intelligence and sort of signs or signals and then would sort of use that information to allow Michigan to predict some of the plays or to play better, right? Uh, and so, of course, it's not just the fact that Stallions did this, but also that um, in terms of the allegation, but then also that there's some sort of assumption or uh, – sort of causal connection between the two that it was collected and then used or given to Michigan, right? Like, you know, he wasn't an independent actor and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that Michigan has to, or it has to be shown that Michigan benefited from it. I think the reality of it is, is just that if they broke the law, broke this bylaw, so to speak, there would be some sort of discipline that would occur. Okay. So that's the idea. Now, again, as I mentioned, this bylaw, which is NCAA bylaw 11.6.1, uh, reads that off-campus in-person scouting of future opponents in the, during the same season is prohibited, except as provided by bylaws 11.6.1.1 or 11.6.1.2. All right. So the first exception this is 11.6.1.1, is that an institutional staff member may scout future opponents also participating in the same event at the same site. So what this would mean is, let's say, if Stallions or some other staffer was in the st stands and scouting the other team during the game that they were currently playing in, that would be allowed. And that's pretty typical, I think, in most sports. You have scouts out there, you have people picking up new things during the game. Often players would do this in baseball where, you know, you're, you're looking for the, the catcher's signs. It's sort of something that it's, it's a part of the game, right? I think the controversy with the Astros was that they used technology to gain some of that information and then used basically trash cans to relay that information. Uh, usually sort of this sort of um, this combination between technology and trash cans, if you will. But that was sort of, the best example that I can come up with or uh, the New England Patriots Spygate example and the filming of uh, New, uh, New York Jets games, right? And how that was a violation of the rules. Okay, so that's the first exception. So if Stallions or if anybody else was watching a game, scouting a game at the same, during that same game that they were playing at the same time, then that would be okay. 
I think the allegation, though, is that Stallions was doing that, this outside of that. He was scouting future opponents in the same season. So let's say that if um, Michigan was going to play Ohio State in three weeks, he might be at a game that Ohio State is playing against Northwestern and then be filming that. So that would be illegal, but on the same side at the same time would not be illegal. So if you're playing that opponent that you're scouting would not be illegal. The other exception, which is interesting, is that an institutional staff member, and this is, again, the 11.6.1.2, would provide that um, an institutional staff member, so this would be somebody like Stallions, may attend a contest in the institution's conference championship or in an NCAA championship contest in which a future opponent participates. And this makes sense, too, right? You know, usually when you international uh, any sort of conference championship, clearly you're going to want to watch the two teams that make it. Even if you're not in it, you're going to want to be able to improve upon that. Or if there's some sort of championship or college football playoff. So something like that, right? So um, an opponent, uh, so an example of this would be an opponent on an institution's, institution's spring non-championship segment schedule participates in a fall conference or NCAA championship, right? Or any other examples I provided. So if either one of those two exceptions applies to Stallion's actions or the university's actions in general, because universities can be held responsible for this, not Stallion's. Stallion's is no longer an employee. Now, he may be held out from getting another another job, right? But, um, you know, in terms of discipline, this is going to come down on the university because another NCAA bylaw is that uh, the students themselves cannot be disciplined, even if they may have benefited from this. Uh, whether or not they knew about it is sort of immaterial uh, in the in the legal sense. Uh, in the moral sense is a different issue. Now, of course, other people might say, well, is this really cheating? Is this just, you know, sort of being advantageous? Well, I think at the end of the day, uh, that particular point is somewhat moot, right? Because the bylaw forbids it. So whether you like it or not, that's the bylaw. Um, in, in some sense, this is kind of like the argument uh, that you see sort of around town here in LA with the signs about, you know, basically free Reggie Bush and give him back, you know, his Heisman trophy. Well, the problem is, is that what Reggie Bush is alleged to have done prior to NIL is still against the rules today, which is that when you accept money um, for, for the sake of just being an athlete and not providing some sort of service in exchange, like promoting a product um, getting some sort of exchange, right? And you're getting product, money, or equity in a company, the three buckets for NIL. You know, that that is not sort of what Reggie Bush did. He took money, and I think his family, the allegations was he took money, his family took money, and, you know, that paid for certain things. Now, of course, look, there's a moral discussion to be had there as to whether, you know, somebody should be able to take money and whether, you know, the other argument is whether student athletes should be paid, that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, my point is, is that the bylaw is there and the bylaw is clear that you cannot scout future opponents in the same season. And that is the allegation of what Stallions did. And I'm sure this is why the Big Ten suspended Harbaugh for three games, albeit a lot of people in the media would say that maybe this didn't go far enough and Harbaugh can still coach the postseason, so to speak, if he's got a bowl game or college football playoff to play in. So. Um, and again, this is not withstanding any discipline from uh, from obviously from the uh, from the NCAA. 
if that should come down. And it's notwithstanding anything to do with the fact that uh, how this injunction may go and whether um, Harbaugh will be able to coach despite the uh, suspension. So those are the two violations, right? And when you analyze this from a legal perspective, uh, for a violation of NCAA bylaw 11.6.1, 11 11 they would have to prove the following. This would be the NCAA or whoever the the quote-unquote prosecutor is. This wouldn't be a criminal case in this context, but whoever the, the, the person trying to make the accusation uh, would have to prove that Michigan hired a staffer like Stallions uh, to go out and collect information, paid him a salary, and um, that information came back to Michigan. And even if the information didn't come back to Michigan or even if Michigan wasn't benefited, the rule doesn't require that, right? The rule is just saying, or the bylaw, I should say, is just saying that if you do this action, you know, there, there will be discipline, right? So in some sense, it's a, other than the two exceptions for a national championship or uh, some sort of playoff, college football playoff game, or um, you're scouting in real time against the opponent that you're playing, other than those two exceptions, you're essentially going to see yourself, you know, at fault for this, right? So again, NCAA is going to have to prove that Stallions was employed by the university, paid a salary, you know, or given some sort of benefit. It was also at the request and acceptance of Michigan, meaning, meaning University of Michigan or a staff member said, Stallions, go out and do this. Uh, and of course, um, it's going to be curious as to what he collected, uh, what information was passed on, if that information is still available. But, you know, this could be very serious for Michigan. We're talking potential loss of wins, trophies, and if anything is done during this season, a potential run at the national championship. Uh, but as again, as I mentioned, a lot of experts contend that there's not going to be any discipline handed down during the season um, or other than what Harbaugh has done with these three games and being suspended for that, uh, mainly because history shows that one, a national potential national champion has never been pulled out of the race. Uh, but then secondly, I think the fact that the Big Ten suspended Harbaugh for the three games, the regular season, um, you know, it was, was disciplined enough for now without being able to review all the facts or circumstances. You know, and I look, I've never been a big fan of administrative, you know, suspensions. Um, I've always thought that there should be a due process to how this goes. Uh, frankly, I don't think that um, conferences and commissioners and presidents of universities or uh, or what have you, even on the professional level, should be able to be judge, jury, and executioner to everything, right? There needs to be a process. That's why due process is so important. It's one of the most important things in, in our country, uh, you know, baked into the Constitution. I mean, this is something that is just imperative to justice uh, in the country. Uh, and, and so any sort of suspensions I find always suspicious because there hasn't been a full investigation to occur, right? No matter how much you might dislike Michigan, and I don't have any connection to the matter at this point. Obviously, with uh, UCLA joining the Big Ten, there'll be more of a connection next season. But um, this is not something that, you know, I generally don't hold, you know, hatred towards other teams. You know, I just enjoy the games. But I, I think that it, it is interesting that the suspension occurred and I think the way the Big Ten commissioner is probably thinking is, well, if we suspend Harbaugh for three games, that potentially means that Michigan won't make the college football playoff, and that is suspension enough, right? 
But of course, if Michigan continues to win the next three games and goes undefeated, well, then um, that, of course, creates a potential dilemma that you would have a potential college football playoff participant and even potential national championship participant or winner uh, to essentially have a sort of cloud of controversy around it, uh, potentially, you know, facing some discipline, um, you know, sort of going all the way to, to the end. Right. So we'll see how this plays out. Um, and again, I'm curious how the NCAA is going to handle this matter. Um, I, you know, again, you know, earlier I mentioned New England Patriots as an example, there were some suspensions there. Houston Astros, I think got the, 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 the largest penalty or the bit, you know, sort of greatest penalty that that's ever been, which was, I think at the time it was a $5 million fine. I think they lost uh, uh, the uh, two first round draft picks for two years. They lost their, their uh, manager uh, who ended up going to coach somewhere else or manage somewhere else, I should say. Uh, but, you know, again, we'll see what happens with coach Harbaugh and this sort of um, this bylaw, you know, I, I think, if what the press is saying, then this bylaw was violated. Uh, violated, right? This clearly the the bylaw was violated. If if what the press is saying is correct, that stallions took video of future opponents during the regular season. If that occurred, it's a violation. Because the only exceptions are if you're if you're recording it and it's a current opponent, or if it's during the national championship or college football playoff, something like that, right? So this is interesting because I think on the one hand, it's not to say what will happen with University of Michigan and what it decides to do or discipline anybody uh, beyond what the Big Ten's done. It's also not to say what, what the NCAA will do, but I will say the NCAA uh, president, Charlie Baker, uh, I think will surely look to enforce a fair punishment, but it also might be an opportunity for the NCAA to flex its muscle or even potentially think about changing the rules to make coaches more liable uh, for cheating through long, longer um, suspensions beyond employment contracts. And look, while no system is perfect, I think due process is the most important aspect of any discipline or petitionary system. And when I say petitionary, it means like, for example, if you're going to challenge something or defend yourself, make an argument, right? And of course, that's what's happening here with Harbaugh and his legal team filing an injunction and that sort of thing. But look, everyone accused must have their voice, regardless of how much you might not like somebody or you think that somebody is guilty. At the end of the day, it's up to um, obviously a arbitrator or a judge or even a jury to decide some of that. Right. And there has to be an investigation that occurs. So I think folks would be wise to practice patience and allow due process to sort of take its course. Uh, and again, not act as uh, judge, jury, and also executioner. So it, it's it's going to be very interesting. And, you know, I'd come across this article that I thought was pretty fascinating. And the article is by um, Adam Ribach, J. Adam Ribach. And it is, uh, he was a JD candidate at the University of Mississippi School of Law, graduated in 2012. And I'm sure um, Mr. Rubach would be um, surprised to hear that I put his name in this podcast. But uh, he wrote a great article entitled uh, The NCAA Enabling Cheating Since 1910 by in Inadequately Punishing Cheating Coaches. 
And some of the ideas that he brings up, I think, are pretty fascinating. And this is in the Mississippi Sports Law Review. So this would be uh, the University of Mississippi Sports Law Review. And so the idea is, is that without more adequate punishments, coaches will continue to um, jump ship. So, of course, if we go back a little bit, and if you if folks remember when Pete Carroll left USC, there was some controversy that there might be some punishments coming down with Reggie Bush and some other folks. And, of course, when he left to Seattle to coach the Seahawks and eventually went on to win the Super Bowl, uh, of course, that's a different, completely different you know, system, right, NFL to NCAA. It would be hard to enforce that. But, um, you know, the, the idea here in the article was that, you know, if coaches were to jump ship to another school, um, the allegations would follow them and the discipline, more importantly, would follow them. Uh, I think the other argument was that coaches are not held to the same standard as student athletes. You know, I think that's interesting. I mean, on one hand, maybe they shouldn't be saying held to the same standard because they are coaches. Um, on the other hand, I think maybe it is something worth visiting. So, you know, one other thought was that maybe coaches would have a coaching license that you would get. I think the equivalent to this would be like, you know, when you practice law, you have a license. When you're a doctor, you have a license. The idea is that you would sort of apply for something and you'd have the opportunity to get this license. And if, you know, there were so many complaints against you or, or so many sort of faults that you had in terms of cheating or what have you, that you would eventually lose your license. This is something akin to, I did an NIL panel recently with the chief legal officer of the um, uh, big 12 conference uh, this earlier this week. And what's interesting is we talked about this idea that um, the NCAA is potentially looking at a sort of rate your agent uh, system where agents and lawyers doing NIL deals would have to go through a system to get approved. So I think that this would be something similar uh, for coaches, not so much of a rate my system, but more of like, let's have a, a license. And I think the other idea is, again, that individual schools would need to hold these coaches more liable through either stricter discipline, and then also that athletic directors would be liable for coaches. So this is something that really hasn't been seen so much. Usually athletic directors are overseeing things, and they're not seen as being liable because they're not necessarily involved in the minutia. But I think that the the sort of whole point of the article was that universities as a whole need to do a better job of managing these transactions uh, with compliance and that sort of thing. And to not essentially allow arm's length transactions uh, to uh, be used to avoid discipline, as I think the the argument. But a fascinating article, and you know, a, applause to uh, the gentleman who wrote it, uh, in in sort of giving some ideas as to how this might play out. But um, again, folks, appreciate listening in. I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. This is the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. As always, appreciate. Um, you know, you listening, you taking the time and, um, and just, uh, you know, wishing you all this, all the best, uh, through this upcoming holiday season. This episode has been brought to you by bet online and, uh, look forward to being back with you, uh, next week. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.